This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $528 a month for 36 months with $49.99 due at signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024. All right, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name's Daniel. Hello, everyone. <laughs> now, now, look, I'm, there's probably a few people who are like, who is this voice? This is not an African-Nigerian voice. Who is this? Uh, he hasn't been here in a while. But, you know, people have been asking, where's where's Carl? Where's Carl? Well, here's Carl. What's up, man? How you been? I'm good. I'm, I'm very tired and sweaty right now. It's been a very interesting month and a couple of weeks. Mm. How is everyone? It's been a good World Cup, hasn't it? Yeah, it was a good World Cup. How did you enjoy it? I think it was one of the best modern World Cups. It's it's top two 21st century World Cups. It, it was a fitting end to 32 nation World Cups held in the summer. I'm a bit annoyed at how much I enjoyed that World Cup, what with the social political background to it. But it, it was a, just amazing. I've been on this podcast before saying the Champions League has surpassed the World Cup in terms of quality. But uh, I'm going to concede to have hope nothing will ever surpass the World Cup in terms of <laughs> narrative. In terms of narrative and drama, nothing will surpass the World Cup. Absolutely nothing. But yeah, uh, but this, by the, this is the Talking Dads Podcast. We do this every Tuesday. Man, you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow the SoundCloud. Hit the hearts if you're listening on a SoundCloud device. Um, if you're on iTunes, you can leave us a five-star review. Subscribe while you're there as well. Now, we did get a bunch of reviews in the meantime, so we haven't done an official episode in almost two months. So these are the reviews we've gotten in that time. Cameron Miller, 61, says, love the World Cup stuff. You guys are you guys are very entertaining. World Cup hype level 100. Says, congrats on 100 episodes and keep up the great work. And Half Hope is a legend. This is a guy okay. called Pierre Fez. <laughs> he says, love the chemistry between you guys. Found this through Half Hope's channel. Really recommend this podcast for those wanting an insightful glimpse into the world of football. Just wondering, can Phil Jones be inducted into the Brick Academy? Thanks. The Torch says, discover talking tactics from Paul. Thoroughly enjoyed the extensive and incredibly informative World Cup group previews. Some of the best podcast material I've listened to. Now I now refresh my podcast app obsessively, awaiting the next episode. The host are absolute legends. Keep it up. Shout out to Paul. Shout out to you, um, Uncle Paul, as we call him. And the last review that we've got, the only taps, as he wrote this, came here from the Football Hut. This podcast has been a breath of fresh air from the usual white male-dominated industry of football podcasts that tend to be too serious. Great to hear you guys discussing the sport that you love and managing to be serious but lighthearted at the same time in your analysis and banter back and forth. Keep Amen. doing what you're doing. A true inspiration for someone who's black and trying to break into a similar path but geared more towards football writing slash journalism. So that's a really, really cool review. I appreciate that, whoever you are. Shout out to you guys for leaving those five-star reviews. Remember, we only read five-star ones on the show because if you leave four or three, I feel like you're just hating to hate for no reason. Um, <laughs> and, and, and one and two, those are accurate, obviously. So, yeah, if it's five stars we read on the show, we appreciate everybody who sent one. It doesn't take that long. There's a link in the description, the easiest possible way to do that. So with that out of the way, now we can talk some football. Now, since we haven't been here for a while, do you guys want to start with, like, so Ronaldo's moved, Zidane's left Real Madrid. Do you want to start there, or do you want to start with, like, what's going on with Mesut Ozil? Let's just do a very, very, very quick tour. So, in summary, Cristiano Ronaldo's gone over to Juventus. Yogi Lowe has been kept on as the manager of Germany. Sampaio has been removed from his duties. And club football, Conte has been removed from his duties at Chelsea <laughs> and replaced by... Yo, I woke up at like 8 a.m. to watch a game against Perth Glory in Australia. I don't know who this team is. People will call them farmers, bricklayers, whatever you want to call them. But Sarri Bricklayers, Ball bricklayers. is in effect. I am so happy. Forward movement. Four at the back. Yo! Jorginho's a baller, by the way, but continue, Carl. I'm just, I'm gassed about my team right now, but go ahead. 
Go ahead. Um, that's going on. Uh, Martial looks like he will uh, have his extra additional year on his contract kicked in by Manchester United so they can secure a greater transfer fee for him when they sell him. Alisson, Alisson Becker has gone to Liverpool for 66 million. The fee may rise up to 68 or 69. Nice. Uh, making him the most expensive <laughs> goalkeeper. Making him the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. Loris Karius this morning, this so we record on Mondays, uh, Loris Karius had dropped a pretty strongly worded message on Instagram stories on Monday, essentially saying to people that continue to laugh at him following his, I'd, I'd say a downturn in his performances or a, a change <laughs> in his kind. recent performances. That's nice. That's nice of you. Yes. Um, they say, you know, continue to hate me for no reason just makes you a, a terrible person. It has now been confirmed by a third party medical staff that Carrius was indeed concussed in the Champions League final, um, which colours that Champions League in a particularly different light, depending on your fan allegiance or your understanding of what uh, concussions is. Hmm. Uh, so that's like a very, very quick summary of what's gone on in in the big bits of world football. I'm still having a very bad World Cup hangover. I pretty much stood in my house last weekend, this past weekend, wondering what on earth I was meant to be doing myself. You so... didn't watch like Tiger? That was fun, no, wasn't no. it? For like no. a little bit, Tiger almost won. But anyway, yeah, it's been bad. It's been really bad. <laughs> it's like everyday football. And then, like, even when it isn't everyday football, when you have, like, the the knockout stage matches, there's, like, a little bit, like, you have the day before and then the day after. Like, you can kind of work in, like, what happened in that game, what's going to happen in the next one. But now it's just, like, preseason. But, again, I'm gassed about my team. But I'm just saying, like, I, I can sympathize with people who have to watch, you know, Mourinho football. Ugh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we haven't really talked about Ronaldo moving. What did you guys think about that one? It's great. Uh, it was very unexpected. I was people know I'm very reluctant to get swept on on these big transfer rumors until it's on the website's official page. So I didn't think this was going to happen whatsoever, and then it did. So Cristiano Ronaldo, at the age of 33, is going to go over to Serie A. He, he raised a very interesting point in his unveiling press conference last Monday, where. Most players his age, when they decide to make a move, they either go to China or the United States, whereas he's deciding to stay in one of Europe's top five leagues. It's a one-horse league, though, so, you know. It's still one of the top five leagues. I'd say, considering Sarri's gone and Jorginho's gone, and this Napoli side seems to be broken up a bit more, I'd I'd imagine it's a... I don't want to say say a formality, because Roma look particularly strong right now. But, yes, Juventus look very likely to win another Serie A title. Would that be eight in a row? It would be eight in a row. But, but in... <laughs> I mean, give me a break. I mean, really? 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 This, this this is completely contingent on the Champions League. Like, if they don't win the Champions League, but you win eight, I mean, is it is it really a success? Oh, no, no. It's no Champions League is what's going to de- de- determine his success to right. them. He's there for the Champions League, not for the Serie A. Yeah. But, then, but then Carl's point is, I, I, I take that point, that like, if you're 33-34 and you're the person who's supposed to win Juventus the Champions League. That's a bit incredible, uh, you have to admit. It's a testament to Cristiano Ronaldo's playing ability and staying power. Like mm. At 33 years of age, he's one of the best number nines in world football. I think he's probably maybe the best goal scorer in world football. He averages more than a goal a game. Well, he's left Real Madrid with something like 450 games played and something like 474, 80 goals scored. Imagine he averages, I'm, I'm ballparking this, but he probably averaged around 60 goals a season, somewhere in there, maybe closer to 50. Yeah. Nine years, I think it was, from when he left Manchester United to now that he went to Juventus. And they made a profit. Yep. That says something also about the market in which we live that has changed in the decade. But also it says something about his brand. Yes, they made profit. which is the <laughs> point I was trying to make next. Not only is Ronaldo there to help them bridge the gap or perhaps take them to that extra step further in Champions League football. But he's also there to bridge the gap in the brand of Juventus. So in the Deloitte rankings of football, yes, Juventus are the big earners in Italy and they bring them a large amount of money. But they're also behind clubs like Liverpool and wow. Tottenham Hotspur in terms of what the club can bring in. They're behind and Tottenham. Tottenham as a brand is very, very strong. This is due to the strength of the Premier League and the fact they're in London. That's wow. Okay. How do you win Serie A eight times in a row, but Tottenham is more valuable than you? Because more people want to watch Premier League games. It's that simple. If you ask 100 people right now, I can give you, would you want to watch uh, 
top six clash in the Premier League or a top six clash in Serie A. Most people will say top six clash in the Premier League. The, prem, the brand of the Premier League is the superior brand in world football. This is due to a number of reasons, but yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Um, <laughs> We're going to get there, Carl. I mean, I think I know what you're talking about. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get uh, there in some way. Uh, and and the, the signing of Ronaldo, there's the often, oh, he's going to pay for himself in shirts. That's not shirt sales work. But in terms of having Ronaldo on your team and increasing visibility and eyeballs and having uh, companies like Amazon and Google and your version of BT Sport or your version of Sky Sports in your territory going, okay, we'll carry more Serie A games and therefore get more eyeballs on Juventus. That will easily take Juventus past the next two or three teams in the Deloitte rankings. I think Juventus is something like 14th. I think by the time Ronaldo has his two or three seasons at Juventus, they'll be closer to the top 10. Like Ronaldo going to Serie A doesn't just improve Juventus, it improves all of Italian football in some way. I watched more French football last year than I ever done in the years previous, purely because they're Neymar. And I went, oh, how does this work? Same. How, how does, yeah, how does, this, how does this work? Oh, Neymar, cool. Oh, wait, they also have Memphis at Lyon. Oh, Lyon look fun. Oh, yeah, they've got Paille at Marseille. Let me keep watching this. Hmm. Uh, and that's how it works. So, um, so have hope. I have a question. Now that Ronaldo's gone to Serie A and we saw what happened in the World Cup, I wanted to bring this up at the time, but we never had the platform on which to do it. Do you think this is the switch that takes this all from, I know you hate them, or just the debate between them, but this takes it from Messi Ronaldo onto the Mbappes of the world, the Hazards, the Neymars. Is this the turning point in terms of like the cultural shifts? For me, it, it depends on what people want. I think with the whole Cristiano thing, you know, there are people who idolize him and see that he can do no no wrong. So these guys, they'll still keep on getting the numbers, but I just think that football has shifted because what I say is that what Christian and Messi have done has been legendary in a particular sense based on their consistency. They were a complete amount of flops at the World Cup, a numerous World, World Cup, so they bricked there. But club-wise, you know, they have really, really redefined things club-wise. But the way Zidane was amazing was amazing was different. The way Ronaldo was amazing was different. The way Badger was amazing was different. So I think what you're going to be seeing possibly is a shift into what it means to now be the king and the don. So maybe what Mbappe will now do, or Neymar and so forth. They may not put up the numbers that Messi and Cristiano do, but what they'll be doing on the pitch, the kinds of things that they'll be doing is possibly, hopefully, will enter the new era. Because for me personally, I'm tired of this Cristiano Messi crap. You know, like literally, it's it's boring. Their old news, the yesterday's news, and it's time to move on. It's time to bring in something new. Yeah, I mean that was kind of that was the biggest story while while we were away. But uh, in the present moment, the biggest story going on is Ozo. Is he retired or is he just like don't pick me for Germany? He's he's essentially retired. So in a particularly strong in parts three uh, part statement, Meza Ozil firstly clarified his photograph with Turkish President Erdogan, a photograph that many, both inside and outside of football, viewed it as interesting. Uh, Ozil claimed that, in Ozil's statement, Ozil said that he took, the the reason he took a photograph with Turkish President was not for political reasons, as he's a footballer, not a politician. And he reminded everyone that he has two hearts, one in Germany and one in Turkey, and that he's just simply meeting the, the president of the place where his parents come from. No more, no less. In the second part of the statement, he raised some very interesting points as to how he feels he's been let down by members of the German press and the DBF, the DBF being the German version of the FA, and how certain individuals in the DBF have let him down mm. and failed to help him with his uh, personal charitable endeavours. And in his final one, the final part of the statement, he essentially went, I believe I am the, tar- I am the victim of racially charged um criticism that's the one criticism he believes that he there is a particular amount of criticism for immigrant born players of the german national team something raised was when i play well i'm german when i play badly i'm turkish he also said uh, he finds it very odd that when he that he is particularly singled out for criticism because based on some immigrant status where polish german players like podolski are not and he goes, is it because I'm of Turkish descent? Is it because I am a Muslim? Why is it that the German press and members of, I'd say, the German footballing uh, elite, so 
uh, not only members of the German press or members of the DBF, but ambassadors or former German national team players and former German team, national German team personnel. Why do they make certain comments about him? He said he feels disrespected. And until he is given an apology or until this level of disrespect is stopped, he will not play again for the German national team. He's Mm. essentially chosen to retire. I'd say retire in, in the in the in a small R rather than a capital R. Retire in a similar sense that perhaps Lionel Messi retired or Zinedine Zidane did the first time. Something that was also interesting is that Ule Holness, um, a I think I'll call him a big deal at Bayern Munich, um, responded very strongly to this statement and said, "We will not miss Ozo. He will not miss Ozo. He's crap. He hasn't made a tackle since before the 2014 World Cup." which is a particularly scathing statement. The DBF has now made a written statement which refutes any claims of racism on their part. So at the moment, it looks as if Meza Ozil's career as a member of Daimanshaft has uh, come to an end. The Ozil thing is a different conversation in himself. Is he world-class? Is he not world-class? How good is he really? But I thought what's interesting about the Ozil's agent is that, you know, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. And Ole Hornes, you went to jail. You went to prison. <laughs> and as and as Ozil's agent said, is that he just, he just said facts about how you know what you're saying for ball was not true. But his the, the the key dagger was that, bro, look at how much Ozil has done to help Germany and German kids and and so forth. You pretty much screwed over Germany's finances by stealing money, and by screwing up German finances by actually stealing and pocketing the money for yourself. Hence why you went to bloody prison. So it's like, I was like, bro, man, that's just when you've just destroyed it. Because again, Juan is like, what can you say? You can't say anything now. You're a criminal. (laughs) You're a criminal. (laughs) You know, like you you just got out of the joints for for doing like 25 or something. So the the whole situation, I mean, we can maybe link this to to the France national team if you want to. But just the, the idea that just dual citizenship, dual nationality, I find very interesting, specifically as someone who can't really give you a straight answer about like, what are you? It's very difficult for me to put that in like one word um, or two words, no, no, perhaps. But, but, but what's very interesting, though, but sorry to cut you, but that's, cool. that's what I think is interesting for us because you two guys, Aragi, you, you guys are both dual citizens. I'm only one country, <laughs> you know, all I have is just the, the one body green, white and green. But for you guys, that's interesting because I've never really felt uh, I'm like a dual kind of guy. You know, I'm just a Nigerian and that's it. So how is it, you know, from, from for you guys' point of view, like, you know, Ghanaian, English, um, Ugandan, Canadian? It's hard to describe. Like like I say, it's hard for me to, like, if someone says, what are you? I can give them, like, depending on the day, I can give you a one-word answer. I can give you, like, a full paragraph. It's It's hard to parse it sometimes. And depending on the room you're in, that's the answer you give. So it's weird that way. And I can empathize a lot with Ozo. It's just like, look, do I agree with Erdogan's politics? No. If you're Ozo, probably not. But he is the president of a place that I have an allegiance to or I have an affinity towards because I am Turkish at the end of the day. So it it was just a picture on my part. But I could also see how other people can be like, look, if you're a public figure like Mesut Ozo is, probably one of the most famous Germans right now on on planet Earth, you taking a picture with the president of Turkey and not a particularly, how do I say this without being killed? Not a particularly uh, nice man. That's going to have ramifications. I, I, I look at the situation and I feel like it could have been avoidable if the German FA handled it a bit differently in the beginning. Um, it could have gone another way, but once you are now racially abused and people are bringing up your religion and it becomes about something other than what you did in terms of taking the picture, then it becomes an attack on you and people are using you against people of your community and your religion, then you probably have to have a think and say, look, if this is what the country is, do I want to play for this place? And until you guys do better, the answer is no. The interesting thing for me is the statement that he brings up that when I play well, I'm German. When I don't, I'm Turkish. Mm. So uh, I'm not sure if many listeners of this podcast have read Romelu Lukaku's essay on the Players' Tribune, where he says that exact same line. When I play well, I am Belgian. When I don't, I am a, someone of African descent. Benzema says the uh, same thing. Like, when he plays Benzema well, he's French. When he, doesn't play, when he doesn't play well, he's an Arab. Like, that's a common um, thing with players who... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It's a common thing with players. It's also... like It was one of these things that it's so common, it got joked about with Andy Murray. 
So the joke was when Aaron Murray plays well, he's British. When he loses, he's Scottish. It, it's so entrenched in immigrant and racist diatribe that they gentrified it for Andy Murray. Right? When, when your cliche is so common that you can gentrify it, and, you know, Scotland and, and Britain have their own unique history and beef. That I don't want to belittle that. But it, it, it does speak to how, how do these melting pot nations respect and disrespect players of dual heritage or of immigrant history. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Ozil's statement, I was especially disappointed to hear that the DBF have essentially not helped him with these charitable efforts. And you read about these charitable efforts and how I think he had basically had a day at his old school in Germany and expected some of his sponsors and the German FA to turn up, and they didn't. And it was a, made a really interesting statement going, when I do certain things, I'm meant to explain myself. But the DBF's, one of the DBF's partners is Mercedes-Benz, and look at all the terrible things Mercedes-Benz have been doing recently. Why are they asking Mercedes-Benz? He came with the receipts. He came with receipts. <laughs> he, he came with all the receipts. This was a six, seven-page thesis. I was like, bro, this guy, that's, that's a dissertation. I didn't enjoy all of it. I think some of the bits skirted around. His reasoning as to why he was next to Erdogan was not quite to my liking, and some of it was a bit derailing. But these well readings right to make this statement, and Ozo has made this point for ages. Why? Well, see, the problem with this is very much, yes, Meza Ozo receives undue criticism from the German press and the German national team that is fueled in part because of his heritage. But at the same time, for the love of God, man, make a tackle. It's true. <laughs> and I, I feel I feel particularly bad to make to say this because like I've been a staunch Raheem Sterling defender on this podcast and in my media in my media work for the last three or four years. Like Raheem Sterling receives undue pressure and criticism and just ridiculous headlines based on his heritage. Score a goal. But at the same time, mate, score a goal. <laughs> exactly. That's 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 terrible. That's terrible. That's the old. That's a, that's a terrible thing to say. And you also got to bear in mind that it's a very hard thing to unstick because maybe one reason why they can't play as well to the best of their ability is because they are getting all these ridiculous things said about them in the press and it's affecting them. Interesting. Like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's <laughs> there. You have it. <laughs> Ozo is absolutely well within his rights, and if, if he wants to say he doesn't want to play for the German national team anymore because he's sick and tired of all this nonsense, fair play, mate. Like you won a World Cup in 2014, you're 29 years of age, you can focus on Arsenal. You're in, you're like the relative final stage of your career. You've got bigger things to worry about than to have Uli Hornes call you crap because you haven't made the tackle. That that tax evasion comment by the agent, I read that and I just died laughing. <laughs> <laughs> he said, like, I think it was 28 million pounds. He was like, bro, like, you basically robbed the people of Germany. You robbed children, and you had the nerve to talk. <laughs> <laughs> ah, if, if you've been to jail, it's tough, man. Like, you got to – don't don't tread on that ice, man. It's thin. It's thin. We want to leave it there. Like, I kind of want to talk about France because of the conversation we had in the WhatsApp group. But this would tie in, but I don't know if you guys want to go there. Was this, was this about France and colonization or – Kind of, sort of, but just just the idea of like when you play well, you're French, but when you don't play well, then those immigrants over there, they call them racais and people from the banlieue, like it's the whole thing. I mean, look, man, France gets real because basically what Trevor knows, his reply to that was perfect because the thing with the France is deal with the reality of the situation because have you seen Pogba's mom? Does Pogba's mom strike you as a French woman? She dresses in traditional Guinean dress. You know, like when you when you look at her mom, she always she's always dressed in the traditional Korean dress with her with her wrapper and her head tie and, and everything. So you cannot call this purely a French win. It isn't. It is the results of colonization. You know, so maybe when those guys went there and just murdered all those blacks and then forced French into this place, they're like, you know what? In 60, 70, 80 years time, we want these blacks to win us a, a World Cup. Um, but French people said, oh, France, you know, this is a nam, right? It is a French win and a West African win. <laughs> you know, there, there was an interesting thing that I was, I, I read this when I did, the, well, when we did, I, sh- I should say, when we did the Zidane documentary, Coup de Tête, the story of Zidane in the World Cup. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Um, I was talking with the, with, 
Yeah, it's good. Um, I was talking with a uh, a French sociologist, right? And we had a conversation about when the French wanted to colonize Africa, or when they did colonize Africa, it was different from English colonization, right? So when England went to Africa and just decided, yo, we're going to take over whichever land, they thought Africans weren't worthy of Englishness. So they took over the land, took the resources, what have you, but there was no thought really of and for the people. When France went to colonize, there was a tiny tidbit in the back of their mind that we'll take their land, we'll take their resources, we'll get rich off them, fine. But at the end of the day, they'll always, we, we will grant them a level of Frenchness to where like in a utopic, idealistic world, like we take their stuff, but we give them the token of being French. I was watching this documentary about colonialization in Africa. And yeah. the, the host of the documentary said that when, when the French colonized a place, they actually thought that with enough time, just if, if they gave the, the Africans that they were colonizing enough tools, as it were, that eventually they could become French. So we would colonize you, but at the end, you get to become French as a reward. Yeah. But, but in England, there was no expectation that the people they colonized would eventually become British. You were just subjects of the crown in a way. We tax yeah. you, we take your, your stuff, and that's that. But then if you look at kind of the football and how people politicize it, it kind of matched up with what he said. and almost makes it seem like no matter how black you are, it's, you're still not going to be French. Or if you're Arab, you're still not really going to be French. Um, and I guess it means that that kind of the French idealism that one day you can become French, it never quite came to fruition. And I was curious about that now that I have a French expert with us it's here. A really, it's a really good point. Yeah. And it's absolutely counterintuitive, isn't it? As you, And I think the explanation, as you say, is that that notion, quite rightly, as you say, that's the sort of, it's the dark side of the Republican ideal, the Republican ideal of a kind of universal citizen within the logic of the Republic, that would be, as you've described it, the logic of colonialism, that you're going to make the people you colonize French, because being French is being the ultimate universal citizen. So it's a, it's a peculiar expression of French universalism. And hmm. it's, it's one of the conundrums of ideals that are supposedly universal, and humanist are actually about imposing an identity. I mean, it's very arrogant, isn't it? It's, it's kind quite, of saying we're, we're, the, we're the most evolved form of you. You'll get here eventually, you know, I'm being facetious, but that's one way of describing French universalism. It's kind of a way of saying one day the whole world will be French, <laughs> basically. Mm. So uh, as you suggest, it's very odd in that context that it should be such a problem, or it might appear very odd that it should be such a problem that players who aren't white French should have such a lot of hassle about, you know, they're, they're put under this scrutiny and never quite allowed to be fully French. That, that, it goes back to what we were saying. When you play well, you're granted Frenchness if we can call Frenchness a thing. When you win a World Cup, it's the Black Blanc Bourg. It's we're all together, we're all one, everything is everything. Uh, whatever, man. Then, then when you lose, or, or not even lose, just if you, the moment you aren't useful to the society, then you start seeing things of, oh, this African immigrant did X, Y, Z. These people who live in the banlieue, which is the Parisian suburbs or the Marseille suburbs or wherever, they're doing X, Y, Z. And politicians use that. I mean, we can look at like Marie Le Pen and... Jean-Marie Le Pen and those guys, like, they won a third of the vote in France. <laughs> like, that is, in, in the second round of voting, like, that is a sizable portion of the French electorate who decided, you know, this ultra-white right-wing party, the Front National, like, yeah, we're cool with that. Like, if they want to stop these Black people and these Arabs from coming into France, all right. But then the moment you have a team that's, was it 18 of the 23 have roots in either the French Caribbean or French African colonies, formerly. That's a large percentage. So, like, why are you now so happy? Why are they now French? And we can even look at people on the left, like people like Macron, who's maybe an under... I don't want to call him undercover racist because I don't have any proof for that. But a person yeah, who he's, seems he's, 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 uninterested in the plight of an everyday African is now happy to be dabbing with Pogba and Mendy. It rings hollow because you do nothing for the people in the in the places where they come from. It's like once they make it out from their own hard work, then you're cool with them being there. I think it also links into the, the idea of black and brown people being only useful for labor and your own enjoyment, which That's deep. 
you know, if you want to get really, if you want to get really, if you want to get really deep in it, this has links in slavery. The idea that a black person is only truly useful to you on, on when you can strap a harness to him and you can get him to work. Yeah. If that individual chooses not to, they does that. However, as I said in the group chat, like I am completely towards people having the option to self-define. Mm. And there was that back and forth between Sporf, a former banter account, which has now decided to get into the content game, that essentially they tweeted out the name of every single French member of the squad with their with a flag of their parental or uh, grandparent origin with the flag. So Pogba, Guinean flag, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Benjamin Mendy responded to them with the name of all these players and just put a French flag next to them and hope this clears things up. Mm. If every single, if you ask Paul Pogba right now, where are you from? And he goes, he's French. Then who am I to tell him he's not French? There is a truth and there's your truth. There's an objective truth and there's a subjective truth. The objective truth is labile, whether you like it or not, you're Guinean and French. Because there is no such thing as objective truth. Like if you want to get into deep like philo- philosophy, there is no such thing as objective <laughs> truths. All truths, all truths are subjective, uh, and everything is open wait, to wait, interpretation. That, that makes no sense. <laughs> Have we brought Guinea. up Deridian deconstruction? We can do, but this is a short <laughs> podcast. Like, let's keep moving. No, 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 no. But I'm saying, my whole thing with uh, people. It's choosing, our podcast, guys. Like, come on, it's not. My thing is that Pogba is Guinean and French. That's it. Like, that's irrefutable, and you can't argue with that. He's Guinean and he's French. And and his African gene, that is the African gene of the kind of athleticism that Africans have, comes from the continent of Africa. Hence why France, you colonized that bloody continent, took those resources, and you're benefiting from those resources, which is what the point Trevor Noah was saying. Because I'm sorry, your Africanness is what gives you those talents. Embrace it. So that's it. Um, all right. Can you guys, this is from Ultra Base Band, switching subjects swiftly. Can you guys talk about the Chelsea manager situation, but the sacking of Senior Severance <laughs> and going Severance package, man, and going and your thoughts on Sorry, both his football and controversy. Ooh, okay. I'm happy Conte got sacked. Senior Severance, I kind of like that. I, you know what? In in kind of my delirium of Conte leaving and Sorry being appointed, I've kind of tried to avoid, and this is bad. I know. I've tried to avoid reading about the controversy of like his comments because I didn't want it to ruin it because I know if I read enough about it, I'm just going to be like Ugh, him too. So I didn't really want to read too much about it. Now, how are you feeling, Half Hope, as your ex-wife, as you'd call it? No, for me, as I said, look, man, it's this is why it's going to be very exciting for Chelsea next because obviously you heard about what's that boy's name, something Odoi, who's been promoted to the Callum first Hudson. team now. Yeah. What you're now going to see is he's going to now embrace guys to really play in a very attractive way, which is just what you never really saw at all with Conte or Mourinho. That's very exciting of like, wow, Chelsea are now going to now be almost forced to, or rather allowed to really play one touch, nice movement, and trying to actually be easier on the eye. That in itself is exciting to see. But at the same time, I think the thing, the key thing with Sarri is all roads lead through Hazard. If Hazard leaves, that's a problem. Although if Hazard leaves and Martial comes, Let's talk cheese. <laughs> but if Hazard leaves and there's no Martial, that's a problem. Because as good as Sarri Ball may, may be, you need that superstar kind of dude. Hence why he needed Mertens in that team. So you need your boy um, Zard for the Sarri Ball to be fully Have you guys seen that like Willian could be going for like 70 million 55. euros or something? As someone who isn't a Chelsea fan who doesn't watch Willian every week, I'm very curious on your opinion about this because when you watch a player every week, you have different assumptions than people that watch you every once in a while. What is your opinion on Willian? Do you feel like he's a good player? I think he's a good player. I think he's B to B plus. Because of my job, I now have to talk to a lot of footballers. Uh, I talk to a lot of them about who they like uh, and who they're afraid of. And this off-season going into the World Cup, I've gained a great appreciation for Willian, not based on what I can see, but what I am told by professional footballers. Mm. So I've been told by a lot of professional footballers playing in the Premier League that Willian is the fastest player with the ball. You see him and he's gone. And that terrifies a lot of defenders. Just pure pace, unrivaled, unbridled. Hazard is fantastic because on a one-on-one, he can go inside and he can go outside so he can t- twist and turn and go past you. But if you want a guy giving the ball and running the straight line in the Premier League, by all questioning, Willian's the fastest to do it. I've also got on very, very good authority that Willian is delightful to be around. 
And I think that's very, very important. I think for a lot of what's going on in Barcelona and a lot of these deals that have gone through in Barcelona, you have to understand it's less important. Is this guy the best guy for the team and more? Is this guy going to make Messi happy? Yeah. What you have to do is make sure the guy's well rested. You're going to make sure the guy's laughing. You're going to make sure he's happy. And to do that, sometimes you've got to buy players that may look odd to the wider world of football, but are absolutely perfect for Barcelona system. So you've got Barcelona system last year. Barcelona getting Paulinho looked silly. Paulinho is deeply respected by the South American members of football. So if you're Brazilian or Argentinian, you think Paulinho is the bee's knees. He is quasi-Lampard for ghosting into the box at the last minute and then striking from the outside of the box. If you are Brazilian or Argentinian or anywhere in South America, Paulinho is amazing. So you're Barcelona right now. You're missing Neymar. Osman Dembele, we don't know if he's going to be the guy yet. You need someone who can just be absolutely rapid for Messi and Suarez to carry the, to do the rest. And you also need someone that you know is not going to disrupt the change room, is happy being second banana, and is probably going to get along like a house on fire with your South American front too. William fits the bill. If you ask most Chelsea fans, he's an A or he's like a D minus. Like there's no in between. There's no nuance to William. He blows very hot and cold. But also I think that has to do a lot with the what he does on a football pitch. So a lot of his big moves are, if it works, away, like amazing. You've got past your mark and now you can cross the ball in or score a goal. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't. Like it, he works in that final third of the pitch where your success rate is always going to be 15% or whatever. And also, it's very, very hard to rank a player whose great strength is what he can bring to your changing room off the pitch when you keep changing managers. Like, if your boss keeps changing and your big thing is, I'm the fun guy in the office, you're bound to have every now and again a boss who's like, I don't like you, go away. And See, not- like, Willian, what he did with, like, the trophies in the FA Cup. Yes. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sovin, as just kind of linking this to have Hope's point about Martial. What do you think of United's transfer window so far? I love listening to your guys' analysis and the banter between the three of you. P.S. is Carl coming back. He's here. So what do you think of a United's transfer business so far, Carl? Uh, from what I understand, Mourinho went into this transfer window wanting a right winger, a centre midfield player, centre back cover, and a backup striker. And we have... You want a fullback as well. So we got the fullback in Dalot. The worrying thing about Dalot is he's 19 years of age and he's also carrying a knee injury so he won't be able to play until September. So listen to me when I say this right now. If Dalot plays before September, like Bakayoko did last season, he's going to have a Bakayoko style. Oh God, this guy's not good. Make sure that kid doesn't play before September. Um, He's got a centre midfield play in Fred, an upgrade on Herrera. So we're going to have a Matic, Fred, Pogba, midfield three, hopefully. But other than that, he still wants the right winger. He's still crying out for Perisic. Perisic looked very good at the World Cup. I still don't think Perisic would be the be-all and end-all to all of our problems. We kind of just had the Willian conversation. And before the kind of Barcelona interest, the rumor was Willian for Martial and Cash. I can't remember which way, probably Chelsea giving. Both of you are card-carrying members of what they call Martial FC. (laughs) I'll, I'll start with Hope. This Martial situation is blank. What's up? <laughs> Let the guy go. He's been used as a winger. Martial is a striker. Martial can pretty much punch Mourinho in the face for failing to make the French squad. So Martial has to look at Pogba dancing, singing, and dabbing with a World Cup trophy he could have had. And someone this good, this talented, is being wasted in a system that doesn't suit him and where a manager has come out and pretty much said that, look, man, I don't really like your style of football. You're not really my kind of a player. So for Martial, 100%, he should he should force a move. And I think him being forced to say because of some contractual BS, I just think is extremely unfair because we as football fans have been denied an amazing young talent. Hence why this goes back to the whole get those bombs, Christian and, and Messi, the hell out of here. And let's just see the new younger generation pull through. And Martial is part of the new younger generation that we should want to see in, in football. I hadn't thought about that point. Mourinho denied, like Martial f- should have been in that France team. If... Mbappe, that pass that could have been the greatest assist in history. If that pass fell to Martial, Martial scores that, and we have one of the, the great assists ever in history. So, so Carl, you, you are a member of Martial FC, but you also support Manchester United. So the Martial situation is blank. Depressing. <laughs> He's the most naturally gifted attacker Manchester United have right now. He needs to play on the left. We can't currently play on the left because 
we've talked a lot about in this podcast about how Mourinho doesn't properly coach his front, his attacking personnel. He doesn't look comfortable on the right, which I would I would love it if you could figure out a way to make it work on the right, and then he could just be the right side of play we want. But that doesn't look like it's possible. He wants to go. I want him to go. I want him to go to somewhere outside the Premier League. I want him to go have his De Bruyne or Lukaku or Salah thing. And the current rumour now is he's going to Bayern Munich, which is wow. what I really want. Yeah. So at the moment, Martial mentioned... How are you good season. enough for Bayern Munich, but you aren't good enough for Manchester? Like, that is so weird what Mourinho does to players. He's tw- Martial's 22. Like, he's, ah. he's, tw- he's He's 22. Has everything you want from a modern inside forward slash number nine. You could easily you could easily turn a profit on him. He costs 35 million going up to 60 million. If you got another good season out of him, you could probably sell him for 70 million to a Juventus. He is, in my opinion, he's a blue chip player who is being suffocated by I'm gonna call him Ramsey Bolton. I'm gonna for the Game of Thrones friends. I keep calling Mourinho Ramsey Bolton because he just seems to torture and just hurt football players I like. Um, the current rumors now is he doesn't particularly enjoy Eric Bailly anymore. I'm just like I don't, I don't like this anymore. Huh? I want him to. Yeah, he doesn't particularly see eye to eye Eric Bailly right now. So Bailly didn't play much near the end of last season because Chris Smalling and Phil Jones were playing, and then when they were questioned, Mourinho said, "I'm giving more chances to players so they can get to the World Cup." Bailly said that's a ridiculous reason, apparently. Uh, and then behind closed doors, I think there were some questions made about how Bailly is injury prone and what lifestyle decisions by is making to be injury prone. And I think Mourinho said words to the effect of, I cannot trust you. Please take everything I'm saying with massive amounts of salt. The whole um, allegedly might be appropriate. <laughs> like president, prime minister of Brick Academy, headmaster would probably make more sense. Like it has to be Mourinho at this point. Like when, when Carl said he wants Martial to do his De Bruyne Sala thing, the main man linked with all of those situations is Jose Mourinho. Like the reason he had to go on loan to Werder Bremen and then Wolfsburg, or I guess Wolfsburg bottom, Jose Mourinho. The reason Salah had to leave, he claims it wasn't him that he had to go to, I think it was Fiorentina. He claims it wasn't him, but we all, if you, he was the manager. He wasn't the head coach, so he had control over who went where in some ways. Like, that's down to Jose Mourinho. So if Martial leaves, like, it's, you know when you get in trouble at school with multiple teachers, and, and you come home, you say, I didn't do anything. And then your parents are like, but you have issues with such and such teacher, this teacher, that teacher, this teacher. Like, it's not the teachers, it's you. So it's not the players at this point. Like, there's too much of a correlation between all of these would-be ballers and not fitting in Jose Mourinho's system unless you want to run yourself dead like Samuel Eto'o or somebody like that. I'm fed up with him at this point. I still love him because, you know, Chelsea, I, but he's I, annoying. I, I can't wait for the third season implosion. The fact that he's got... <laughs> I think I think that the fact that Rui Free has left and Rui Free has, was generally considered to be the good cop to Mourinho's bad cop. The fact that... Marino said he's not going to get another assistant manager and he's going to restructure his entire side. It leads me to believe he's going to go full Mourinho, I'm going to shave my own hair, paranoia. He's already moaning about how this preseason is not going well and mm. how he's going to get so many players with World Cup hangovers that are going to have very bad preseasons. Uh, Marino's already making excuses about that. He's already making complaints about how the, the transfer window is very difficult. So it's, it's coming. And I think there's a, quite a few Manchester United fans that just want it over and done with. You guys can't um, see me, but I'm Millie rocking because we got sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I want I want over to be done with. And my worry now is that United are going to enter a similar phase to Arsenal with their ownership and their managerial problems, where their ma- where the owners are basically going, we're turning a profit. It doesn't really matter if we're going to challenge for a title or if we're going to finish fourth or fifth. Are United fans the type to go full on? not Wenger out, but Mourinho out? Like, is that a part of Manchester United culture or, or are you guys more, I don't know, give it time, kind of more respectable in that way? I think, you know, remember, we flew a goddamn plane of a football stadium to say Moyes out, so... <laughs> oh, like, I forgot about Moyes, you know. <laughs> when, when, when United you fans... Can, but I did. When United fans believe their team is not where they're supposed to be, they'll, they'll let it be known. And I think it's very much... Moyes was incompetent. Van Hal was deathly boring, uh, and Mourinho is is now he looks like Mourinho is going to just wreck some of the players that United. They're the players that United fans believe Manchester United are about, right? So uh. if you ask a Manchester United fan to describe the perfect United player, he will probably end up describing someone who looks and sounds like Marcus Rashford, right? 
Manchester United in Europe, you'll probably get someone to describe someone who looks and sounds and plays like Paul Pogba. There are like certain players where you can see Mourinho is turning the screw and making these players unhappy and United fans are going, no, 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 no. Not this one. And it remains to be seen what happens next. I want. I hope. I really want that meltdown to happen before Christmas, because I can't be bothered with this happening at the end of the season. <laughs> I am not looking forward uh, to this season at all as a United fan. I can't even speak. Man. I'm, I'm just happy if you can't tell. Uh, Theo Caesar Mosby, what is the thought process behind Everton signing Richarlison for fifty million? He only scored five goals in forty-one games for Watford. The market's broken. Okay, that's the answer to that question. Fifty million for Richarlison. Okay, maybe he has talent, but. That's a lot of money. It's a good, it's good business. Also, what you have to remember, and this is the thing I tell everyone about Richarlison, Richarlison came over from half, playing halfway through a Brazilian season. Richarlison played 64 games of football nonstop last season. The reason he fell off a cliff after January is twofold. One, Gomez, the Brazilian goalkeeper, was pretty much his minder at Watford. So he was the guy that, oh, here you are. Here's where you can get Brazilian food. Here's where you can get all the stuff you want. Oh, you want to go to this church? Here's how you do this and do this and do this. Here's all the Brazilian stuff you need in Watford. Gomez got dropped from the side. So Richarlison's basically support network is not there every single week in the changing room. So he's freaking out. And two, he's knackered. Absolutely knackered. There is no winter break. He is 21 years of age. Not only was he playing a, like an entire half season in Brazil for his club, he was also playing for Brazil on the 20s. So that's an extra 17 games on top of that. And he's playing Premier League football. The boy was... Like, maybe 50 million is dangerous in terms of, like, burnout. Yeah, and this is why I'm very interested to see what happens to Alexis Sanchez this season. I think Richarlison will be good. I think him being back with Marco Silva, Richarlison's form dipped off a cliff when Silva left as well. Those two being together will be fine. When I was like, oh, but it's 50 million. Yeah, but... Basically, everyone's got an extra 35 million in their back pocket because of the TV deal. It's a bit stupid. And people are going, oh, well, for 45 million, you could have got this player. Or Cristiano Ronaldo only cost 88 million, whereas Richardson cost 50 million. That dramatically flattens the context of what happens in transfer deals. One of them is a 33 year old with very little resale value and is one of the best players in the world. 88 million is, frankly, a steal. The other one is a 21 year old who has the potential to get sold for 70 or 80 million if it works out. It's not as bad as what previous Everton 40-plus signings were. But if it, if it works, Richarlison working down the ring is pretty good. And if it doesn't, they've always got Theo Walcott. <laughs> Go wow. Oh, uh, MFB says, what do you guys think of the 17-year-old Ghanaian-born Canadian international prospect of Alfonso Davies? He looks like the real deal. The reason I'm asking this one is because, do you know anything about this guy, Carl? No. I know slight. He plays for the Vancouver Whitecaps, and I know because he was 16 years old. But Canada decided quickly, like we need to get him some senior caps, so they got him in at 16. Played well in a Gold Cup, and I think Bayern Munich want to buy him for around 15, 20 million somewhere in there. I don't know enough to comment past that, but uh, interesting prospect for sure. Um, lastly, the torch asks. I've recently become a huge fan of the Talking Tactics podcast. However. It has caused a real crisis in my life. I have spent countless sleepless nights pondering this essential question. Am I a brick? <laughs> so, have oh, is man. Torch a brick? Wow, that's interesting. That's a very existential question. I he, think said it like, have to... he said it like Russell Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You have to, I think, no, you have to just literally seek guidance, go to some support groups and just really you have to have meditation because who knows you you could be a brick there are people walking this earth who are genuine bricks and they and they don't know they are bricks so it's something that you have to know innately and you have to ask yourself some hard questions i could be a brick but i'm not but i could be a brick but i'm not so. <laughs> that would be an irony of ironies um did we talk about curious we talked about enough when we talked about Alison. okay Becker. okay <laughs> that's too close to you <laughs> this guy's dead at me <laughs> Curious man. I remember. I remember. We did. We talked about him being concussed. He still he can't have a concussion two months later, can he? Yeah, that's how concussions work, man. What? I uh, see. I've never had a concussion. I've been lucky in that way. Like yeah, my brother's never you... had a nosebleed. I'm tempted to punch him, but I'm not tempted to get a concussion. So la last week I had to go to a doctor and they had to uh, cauterize part of my nose off. What? So they were, like they were about twelve or so blood vessels that were really, really just 
either open or close to my nose. This guy went with like a really hot, it looked like a pen and just zapped him off, just burnt Did you feel my it? nose off. Oh yeah, it's incredibly painful. Like they put antiseptic down, but yeah, it was pretty painful. And you just had that's to scorch crazy. them off. Is that like, because, but that's like repetitive head things with like rugby or whatnot? Well, I'm just a no. I was always a nosebleed kid, and also like yeah, my my head knocks around all the time. You can feel the effects of concussion for months, maybe years, man. Like the big problem for people who have concussions is not the first concussion; it's the concussion when you're healing from a concussion. Because it's just like any other injury. Think about it. You break your arm. If you break the same arm again in the same place, you're in a lot of problems. So if Karis Karis being concussed, the effects of that concussion will take a while to heal. Then he also has to deal with basically trusting himself again because his confidence looks shot. He needs to retire, retire from, from the game or take a break. Simple. He needs a sabbatical, really and truly. Like. Becker being there will be, Becker will be the new number one. Karius now can, if he wants to, become the cup goalkeeper, which I think might work for him. Or I, according to reports, he, he's essentially gone, he wants to go somewhere else. The most likely thing to happen to Karius is that he's going to take the Ben Foster route of football, as in, I was at a big club, it didn't quite work out, I'm now going to do a decent job for smaller clubs for the rest of my career. Do you, do you guys know the, the NFL saying, it's like the most popular person in town is the backup quarterback, basically saying like, everyone will hate the starting quarterback, so the most popular guy in town is his backup. Do you think that might apply yep. in, in a way to Carius that like once Becker starts making mistakes, hopefully he doesn't if you're a Liverpool fan, but mistakes from goalkeepers are inevitable, really. Does Carius become a more likable proposition in the minds of Liverpool fans? I think he's done. I think in the eyes of Liverpool fans, he's done. I think what's interesting now is... The Champions League highlights aren't good, aren't good viewing. Yeah. It's the problem is is that he made his mistake on the biggest stage. Yeah. Um, uh, I think what will be interesting is if, let's say, Karius leaves Liverpool and goes to, say... Because Karius is a good goalkeeper. Karius is good enough to play for any of the non-top six clubs and be their starting goalkeeper, I think. Well, maybe apart from Everton, because we now all love Jordan Pickford. I think that a question now is, let's say you are... So, Alison Becker's gone to Roma. That means Roma need a new goalkeeper. Roma go and buy Kasper Schmeichel, which means Leicester needs a new goalkeeper. That means Leicester go buy Jack Butland. If you're Stoke and Loris Carriers rocks up, what are you thinking if you're a Stoke fan? And that's the big question there. If you're the fan of the smaller club and Carriers rocks up, are you going, oh, maybe he can put this all behind him and he can rebuild himself and we're going to give him time to forgive himself? Or are you going, this guy's a brick? I think I think the latter. <laughs> are you are you are you going to give this guy the patience and the love and the time of day when you know this guy was concussed when he made this mistake? If he cuts his hair, there you have it. All right, that, that's all I want to talk about today. Right, have hope. Anything on your mind or no? I'm good, baby. I'm good. All right, yeah, that is the Talking Tactics podcast. Remember, we do this every Tuesday. Um, remember, leave your questions, comments, whatever. Um, we might read them next week if if we like them. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at Talking Tactics, Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud at Talking Tactics. Um, if you're listening on if you're listening on an iTunes device, subscribe, leave a five star review, we'll read on next week's show. So, Carl mentioned the Players Tribune. Check that out. Um, have hope. You got anything coming on the hut? Now, nah, well, you know, just building up to the new season, man. Building up to the new season. Cool. We will continue doing that next week. So, Talking Tactics Podcast, sometimes funny, sometimes serious. There's three people. Hey, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football, man. It's been a while. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Yeah, peace cool. out. Sports Social Podcast Network.